Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson. Joining me in a bit will be Tim Phillips, and uh, he will join us for this week's review, which will be sort of politically related, history related, which is pretty good on this week uh, that we had an election here in Canada. How did how did it turn out? I don't know. I'm pre-recording this before the results come in on Monday night, so you listening to this right now will know more than me about what happened at the election uh, than me recording this right now. So enjoy that uh, bit of irony while you can. Right now you know more about politics than I do right now recording this. And did I just travel through time? <laughs> I don't know. And Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new Inspired by True Events drama Worth which you can stream on the Netflix. That will be in the back half of the show. For the first half, we're going to get back to a good old-fashioned run the series. So, um, coming up in the next few weeks, we're getting a number of interesting new releases, one of which is the new film from Denis Villeneuve, uh, Dune, which is based on a sci-fi novel written in the 1960s it has been adapted already numerous times there was the very famous ish uh david lynch adaptation in i think it was 1982 or 83 and then there was a actually a pretty popular miniseries that was produced by sci-fi in the united states but this is a big big screen experience this new dune coming out uh, Denis Villeneuve, of course, is uh, an experienced director with these sort of big spectacle thingies. Uh, he did it once already with um, Blade Runner 2049, for which there were a lot of big expectations for, and it somehow managed to deliver. So I thought it'd be interesting to take a look at the Denis Villeneuve filmography, because while I've seen a number of his films, I, haven't, I hadn't seen all of them. And by that I mean I hadn't seen the French movies. <laughs> sorry to say i hadn't seen like his first few french movies uh everything from ensemble after i had seen and i i actually rewatched ensemble for this as well as a couple of the others because i i, I want to get more of a, more of my head around them again so we are going to run the series on the films of denis villeneuve nine of them um before dune ninth this is 10th feature film I think it's his 10th. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Yeah. Yep. All right. I'm good. I can count. Good for me. <laughs> All right. So at number nine spot, I've put uh, the 32nd of August on Earth. Um, it's his first movie. It came out in 1998. I mean, there was obviously a lot of talent uh, on display, but the 32nd of August, first of all, they never explain what, the, what is that supposed to mean, because there are several segments at the beginning where it's like the 32nd of August, the 33rd of August, the 35th of August, and then it goes into September, and it's like, what does that even mean? I don't know. It It's it's something that was used to chop this movie into parts, and it, what's weird about it is, 
it's uh, the story of this these two friends. Um, one is a model, and she's kind of having a midlife crisis after she got into a car accident. Well, not a midlife crisis, but an early life crisis. She gets into a car accident. She goes to her best friend, Philippe, and says, like, hey, let's have a baby together. And he's like, okay, but I have to go to the desert in order to copulate with you. And so they take a, a last-minute trip to Salt Lake City <laughs> so they can make love in the desert so he can get her pregnant. Um... It's a basically a Kevin Smith movie, but with the like cinemis, the the cinematic stylings of Denis Villeneuve. Like you can see obvious talent on the screen, but Denis Villeneuve has not since gotten this goofy. Um, I may be wrong about that. Hold hold my beer on that. But um, it's an interesting film nonetheless. Beautifully shot. The landscapes of of uh, the, the the white sands outside Salt Lake City are beautifully beautifully captured. It's a beautiful film. Goofy. Incredibly goofy, but beautiful to watch. At number eight, I have Enemy, and this was uh, Villeneuve's follow-up to uh, Prisoners, which was this big sort of American Hollywood breakthrough. Uh, he then came back to Toronto, came back to Canada, and filmed this story, which is uh, features Jake Gyllenhaal, who was in Prisoners. Um, he plays this sort of sad sack history teacher who leading this life of routine and uh, he inexplicably rents a movie one day and sees an actor who looks mysteriously exactly like him and ends up stalking him and they, they end up meeting and you know personal decisions are made things are revealed uh, it's very Lynchian uh, by that I mean David Lynch um, I'm not sure. I don't actually. I know it doesn't work 100 percent because I, I I didn't work for me. It's just it's really hard to sort of. Uh, it's not hard to watch, and it, the actors are really good. But it's like, what does any of this mean? If, if you're gonna go Lynch, you gotta go full Lynch, which is to like, literally try and put no cap on, what it is, the audience is supposed to think, like, the film tries to introduce the idea that maybe the Jake Gyllenhaal character is leading two lives, like maybe he has two different personalities, but at the same time, like there are events in the film that make it very, very clear that these are two separate people. So what is exactly going on? Um, does, he, does Jake Gyllenhaal's history teacher have an evil actor twin? Who knows? It's it's very ambiguous in the end, and I I'm not that I don't like ambiguity, but it just... it you got to go, like, full ambiguity. It, there's enough reality here that makes me think there's a reality happening. I don't care for that. Fortunately, the number seven film, Maelstrom, completely, almost completely throws reality out the door. Um, it's, if I remember correctly, Denny Villeneuve's second film. It is. It has features um, Marie-Josie Crows in a very early performance by her. She plays, interestingly, someone who's in the fashion because we have the the character who's a model in the thirty seconds of August. But she's kind of messed up. Um, she's kind of a legacy. Her mother was like a fashion designer or a model or something, and so she's trying to figure her own stuff stuff out. She gets drunk one night, uh, accidentally hits a fishmonger, and. Um, the whole movie is kind of this meditation on like, is it fate? Or is it like an accident? Is like just a coincidence? And um, it, it's really interesting to watch it, it, watch all of it come together, like, and, and really 
subtly hint at these questions. And it makes you wonder, like, is she is she a dark angel, or is uh, the Marie-Josie Cote's character just, like, a really messed up woman who just so happened to be a victim of circumstances? Left kind of ambiguous. This film is interesting, but, 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 but... It's also wrapped around this narrative device of this weird-looking animatronic fish that is constantly getting skewered, and then another fish comes out and then continues the story, and then it gets chopped up, and, and it looks like Delicatessen. Um, I don't mean a Delicatessen, I mean that movie Delicatessen. <laughs> it's just, it's it's bizarre and over-the-top, and it just looks ugly. It, it's it, like the... The whole screen is colored red. It just it's it's terrible. It looks terrible. I could have done without the talking fish in Maelstrom. At number six we get Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Um somehow and there are a lot of people like me who are extremely skeptical of this whole concept of like thirty five years later, let's make a Blade Runner sequel because I mean everyone was digging up old IP at the time, you know, from like Tron Legacy to Prometheus and Alien Covenant, which were also Ridley Scott joints, uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens, and just like all of it is like, let's bring something old back, get one or two of ac- the actors, bring in a new actor, and we'll let it rip. But Blade Runner twenty forty nine does manage to, um, basically justify its own existence, um, and that's largely because it leaps off that original source material to tell an entirely different story or to tell a similar story to Blade Runner but in like a very different way and manages to sequester a lot of that like honorific nostalgia stuff um it's it's a beautiful film uh Ryan Gosling is is really good as the lead character this replicant who has to hunt other replicants a lot of great performances in it just better than we deserve. And naturally, it was not as successful as um, the latest Marvel movie. <laughs> of course, how could it be? It's a th- it's almost three hours long, and uh, nobody lifts a magical hammer. But I digress. At number five, I have Polytechnique, which is uh, Villeneuve's film. You can't really say it's like based on, although it is obviously based on the terrorist attack on January 6, uh, 1989 at Lake Polytechnique. Um, it features kind of like real-life stories, like names have been changed. Uh, Mark LePin does not get named in it. The the character who is the LePin surrogate is just uh, identified as the killer. Um, but it, it, it's, it's not quite based on but it is clearly based on it. It lives in this kind of weird void. And of course, adding to that is it's shot in black and white. Um, I don't know if it's just me or if I remember like some of the songs wrong, but like it uses a number of eighties tunes in it, but they sound like kind of like they're off, like they're off tempo or it's like there, it's a different arrangement or something. So even like the familiar things in it, like the music on the radios and things, it just feels off. And that, that's a very, powerful feeling in this movie just everything seems off as everybody's kind of going about their day and then some crazy person uh some hateful crazy person comes in and starts shooting up the school with specific evidence on the women because he was shooting the he shot everyone he shot was a woman everyone he killed was a woman at that and it's 
it balances that with this other storyline about another male character who's basically, as the massacre is happening, is like running around the school trying to get help and then trying to deliver medical aid. Then there's also a part of the film that deals with the casual misogyny that, you know, when taken to extremes, ends up in a result of like a, a terrorist attack. But I mean, it's about uh, this woman Valerie, who is a mechanical engineer, and you see her going into like an inter- uh, a meeting, an interview for this internship, and uh, the professor looks at her resume. It's like, oh, you want to be a mechanical engineer? That's weird because most women want to go into civil engineering because it makes it easier for them to have families. So just like that sort of casual. Um, misogyny is is as relevant and as portrayed in the film as the the more extreme end and of that is this is a tight 76 minutes but it feels like it's twice as long and i don't mean that in a bad way it just like that's how harrowing it the the way villeneuve um made it at number four we have all song d which was uh, Villeneuve's movie. It was submitted to the Academy Awards as Best Foreign Language Picture, I think, in 2011. It did not win, though. Uh, It's a shame. It's a powerful movie about um, forgiveness and letting go of anger and love. Um, It's... Ugh, it's so complicated. The plot is so complicated, I can't really get it into it by the time it's time's left, but it, it is... It is one of those movies where, it, as things kind of unfold, and as you realize, uh, I'll call it a twist, although I don't think it's really kind of like meant to be like a like pop around the corner and there's a twist. Uh, it, it very carefully leads you up to it, but it is heartbreaking in the end when you when you do see the full picture. At number three, we have prisoners. Um, it's stark, um, but it is. It's played so normally too. Like there's a very simple mystery at the heart of it. Like these two young girls were taken, but it leads to this like much more intricate mystery that brings in like various disparate figures that just shows how all like how interconnected all of this is, and it's beautifully laid out. And there's such great performances in it from. Hugh Jackman and Paul Dano, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal again, uh, Terrence Howard, uh, and Melissa Leo is frightening in the film. She is frightening to watch. Really great performance by her. Uh, The Arrival is my number two. And this was uh, a science fiction movie about a first contact situation. Interestingly, I mean... It's, it's sort of been done, this this idea of first contact has been done so often in various Hollywood movies, but rarely does, like, a first contact movie ever, like, really sell you on the alienness of the alien contact. And that's what this movie does really, really well, is the struggles to communicate, uh, the subtleties of communication, um, how, as human beings, we have difficulty communicating with each other, let alone communicating with a whole other vastly different alien race and it's all connected with this deeply personal story of uh, this woman who you think is going through some sort of trauma uh the loss of her child and the twist is that she's and she's actually through her communications with the aliens seeing the future and that is again that's another sort of little villainous twist that's handled very very um carefully um 
he doesn't really spring it on you. It, 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 there, there's a point as you watch Arrival through for the first time, it occurs to you. When it occurs to you that you're actually seeing the future, you're not seeing, you're seeing flash forwards, not flashbacks. It's a really beautiful, really remarkable point in the film. That brings me to my number one, which is a Sicario, which is almost the antithesis of every action movie, uh, because the good guy does not win at the end. Uh, the politics are dirty and completely immoral. Uh, basically, all our heroine can do, which is played by Emily Blunt, who plays this FBI agent who's trying to deal with the drug smuggling situation on the border, all she can basically do is, you know, quit and walk away and leave it to these scumbags with badges who are playing cowboy along the border and um that's kind of rare in a, in a movie like this where you would it, the very hollywood way of doing this would be to like go direct in and shoot him up and take out all the bad guys and heroes win bad guys lose but that's not what sicario is about and that's what makes it very very um interesting and memorable indeed so those are the films of denis villeneuve ranked according to me how does worth rank <laughs> good wordplay there how does worth rank we'll find out when we bring tim onto the show after this you're listening to end credits on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio That's our target from the DOJ. If we don't hit that number, the plan won't work. Any fewer claimants come aboard, the lawsuits that result could crater the economy. So we're told. No pressure, people. (laughs) For every claimant, we'll need to calculate a dollar value for the human loss, whether it's loss of limb or loss of life. Most of the people who died that day were providers for their families. We can't bring them back, but we can help their loved ones pay their bills. Now you people understand we're not going to be able to haggle every case subjectively. That's where the math comes in. So we're, uh, we're going to need a rubric. These are the latest actuarial tables from the top casualty and in life insurance companies, and we'll use these numbers as a basis. Yeah, you guys study up on these and help Camille come up with a proposal. And that was a clip from Worth. It is the new film from Sarah Colangelo, and it stars Michael Keaton, Stanley Tucci, Amy Ryan, Tate Donovan, Shinori Ramanathan, and Laura Benanti. I am now being joined on the line by Tim Phillips. Tim, how are you today? Doing well, Adam. Enjoying uh, the end of the summer here, getting some nice weather, and uh, looking forward to, uh, to a nice fall. Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, we're halfway through September, and the leaves haven't really started changing yet. No, 
At least Maybe that's they're... the picture outside my window, which I admit is limiting. But I do have a lot of trees outside my window, so I don't see it much in the way of fall colors. Yeah, maybe they just won't change this year. It's been such a weird couple of years. Maybe just the leaves won't change. <laughs> so our movie this week uh, is kind of appropriately timed. It is worth. It is on Netflix right now. And uh, I say appropriate because this movie was inspired by true events that happened in the immediate aftermath of the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 2001, the 20th anniversary of which was just a few weeks ago, so we're a little bit late, but uh, still well-timed nonetheless. Uh, So, Tim, why don't you just start off by telling us why you wanted to review Worth and and what about Worth appealed to you? Yeah, well, um, it, yeah, you know, 20th anniversary of 9-11... Um, it's, you know, time to re- reflect about what happened that day. It's still pretty vivid in my memory because mm-hmm. I'd, uh, lived in Ontario my whole life and I had just moved to Montreal actually. So I was in like this new city and living this new life, really completely new culture for me. And I just moved there two weeks earlier. And then when, when that when 9-11 happened, I remember my roommate, he was a new roommate too, he was a nice guy from China, and we lived together in this apartment, and he um, had it up on his computer at the time showing, he's like, what's going on here, Tim? And I was just like gobsmacked by it, and it, it, it's, you know, so it's always really left an impression on me, and I know everyone really, it was, everyone can probably remember where they were that day. Mm-hmm. So with the 20th anniversary, I know on Netflix, there were some documentaries and I watched a couple episodes of some documentaries. Then I saw this film, which I wasn't really aware of called Worth, um, uh, starring Michael Keaton, um, based on the memoir by Kenneth Feinberg about uh, this lawyer who's tasked with um, pretty much with compensating victims uh, victims' families um, f- from 9/11, and worth um, the the memoir is called actually what what is life worth was the name of the memoir, and it's mm-hmm. and it's about like how do you come up? He's trying to come up with a formula on how to compensate uh, people for like the most tragic events, and you know. F- provide family members with, with money. So they basically don't sue the airlines or sue the government. Mm. So it's kind of an interesting story because the intentions you could, if you really thought of them, you could think these are pretty cynical intentions here just to stop these lawsuits from happening. But it's a really interesting story. And like, how do you, you know, how do you value life? How do you, you know, how, how do you, compensate people for you know the you know the worst time of their life and when most people wouldn't even want money or they just want their family member back or their you know and so it's an interesting uh, story and uh yeah i i thought it it would be a, a good one to review and with michael keaton in the lead it kind of made me think of that movie um spotlight which was um mm-hmm. you know uh ensemble piece investigating the uh abuse scandals in the catholic church 
and uh, I I thought it would be kind of of that ilk. And I thought Worth was it is a, a solid movie. I, it's not up to the it's not up to the caliber of Spotlight, but mm. it's uh, it, it definitely makes you think. Of, uh, you know about you know you know how do you, how do you value life? How do you come to terms with like the worst? you know, the worst possible tragedies. And there are these people who have to, who are tasked with, you know, compensating victims for these tragedies. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting at the end of the film, it said not only did Kenneth Feinberg work on the 9-11 fund, but he worked on all these other funds for tragedies, school shootings and uh, Boston uh, marathon bombing. And so it's, yeah it, and it, it's uh so you would think it would be you know maybe perhaps like a really depressing movie or anything but i thought it was a really solid movie and you could really see the personalities of everyone who was involved mm-hmm. um and uh yeah it, it made you it yeah it, it made you think and just really think about you know what's important in life and um you know just and and I, I thought the uh, ensemble was good, but like I said, it's it, I don't think it was up to spotlight level. Stanley Tucci <laughs> plays the. Uh, I thought he was. I he thought was Stanley also in Tucci. Spotlight. Oh, was he? Yeah, he yeah. was the lawyer for the for the for the victims in Spotlight too. Oh yeah, and Amy Ryan was in it, who actually played in Birdman with Michael Keaton. Oh man. So, <laughs> it does feel like they were <laughs> the casting was just like six degrees of michael keaton i think yeah but... yeah, yeah yeah uh yeah. i mean michael keaton also has that horrid boston accent in it so it's like ooh, you know it, it does feel like somebody watched spotlight and go oh boy i could <laughs> i could poach this film uh yeah, I, I, it's an interesting take. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the films um, made about nine eleven, the dramatic films. You know, there's obviously like United ninety three and World Trade Center, which about the tax the attacks themselves, and then you have uh, that Adam Sandler one, Rain Over Me, uh, which is about like a a banker, like he was the only one in his. Fr- I think it's he's like got PTSD because he was the only uh survivor like his family was killed and uh he was like an investment banker that that survived uh and then like extremely loud and incredibly close which was like i think tom hanks was the dad who died in 911 <laughs> but um yeah so you have to, like you have your choice with either these like docudrama things or like these incredibly melodramatic things, and then there was that movie with like Robert Pattinson, where his uh, his dad Pierce Brosnan works in the Trade Center, and he goes to, and he's estranged from his dad, and then he goes uh, at the end he goes to goes to his dad's office, and then the camera pulls out and you see that his office is in the North Tower on 9/11, which yeah. uh, I mean that's like a the twist ending of all time, but um. <laughs> But this, you just uh, gave it away. <laughs> I, I, well, it, it came out like twenty years ago. I think I think, I think everybody will be fine. Uh, I mean, this is a a different type of nine eleven film, and I think it's probably, um, 
I mean, just in terms of going beyond the bare bone facts that, you know, people died and people suffered because of that. It's one of the more interesting stories because it's, it's complicated. As you say, you know, uh, Ken Feinberg is some kind of insurance lawyer, um, or it's his job to like, you know, put a, a dollar figure on somebody's life. And that's easy. If somebody like, if you're talking about one person who dies in a fire or you're talking about someone who dies in an accident or something, but you know, how do you do that when you're talking about something like the world trade center where, you know, there were CEOs who were killed and there were janitors who were killed. And you know, how does that formula come out in the end? I mean, and it's also, I mean, there, there's, there is a kind of very skeevy side to it. And, uh, this is where, like, I don't know who the who this actor. Um, I wrote his name down and everything, and now I can't. Victor Victor Slezak, um, who's like a mostly a theater actor, as many New York based actors are. Um, where they found him, but he, I mean, he is like a perfect. He's a perfectly slimy John Ashcroft because th- this whole thing is kind of slimy. So you might as well put a slimy face on it. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's 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 all like kind of an effort. It's like, well, if like 7000 people sue, um, sue the airlines, I mean, that's game over for the airlines, just as like nobody is flying because of this big thing that's happened. And, uh, you know, you're also trying to figure out. Remember, too, there were literally billions and billions of dollars given to people. Um. Or that were given to the governments, like you know, people re- you know who wanted to compensate the victims or help the victims and all that. So it just it, it's a perfectly bureaucratic problem, which is really great for a movie like this. And it's you know it's absurdly complicated, and um, unbelievably sensitive. And the the, the 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 first scene where Ken Feinberg goes to address the families, that it, it's like a really great sort of example of just like how fine a line you have to walk or how he he has to walk um or even just rather tiptoe it's 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 an unimaginative uh, or unimaginable um fine line and i think for the most part the first part of that movie is really good laying out that line and it's it's got a very good pace and very deliberative. I think the movie doesn't is not served as well in the second half um, because then it's trying to answer all these complicated questions that they've laid out in the first half, and it's just it's not it's it the way it's kind of resolved seems too easy, and the film doesn't really do a good job of like explaining like how. Feinberg and his team were able to sort of like get everybody. I mean, because it, it's a remarkable achievement. They ended up getting everyone but 47 people to sign on to this fund. Mm-hmm. But it, it's just kind of like he has one conversation with Stanley Tucci and it's like, I've got it. I'll treat everyone like people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah, that's funny, Adam, because I think, yeah, I'm the same as you. Like it starts off as this procedural, which, you know, uh, people might find complicated. It was complicated because um, mm-hmm. it's Kenneth Feinberg. Really, if you think of it, he's sort of like a slave to his own personality. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he had free reign to give money indiscriminately. Really, that's what they said. You can you can give out these funds however you like. But he's such a such such a lawyer based in pr- precedents and stuff that he's focused on 
he's focused on i'm j- i want to have a formula mm. you know i want to make sure i'm not bending the rules of a form i don't want to go outside the formula i want to stay in this formula um so if somebody doesn't meet the requirements for this we're not going to give them this amount of money and uh and he's kind of doing it to himself and that there's like that great scene early on you're you're saying when he's addressing the vi- the victims you know the victims mm. there of 9-11 and he has he's just talking oh there's a formula you're all going to get money this is totally logical you know he's going trying to be totally rational with people who are like in an irrational state and they're just yeah you know really raw and emotional and and then Stanley Tucci, right, becomes sort of, is the counterpoint to that as um, the husband uh, of someone who died in the World Trade Center, and he uh, and he's there, and he 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 talks to the crowd after or during. He's like, give him a chance to talk, give him a chance to talk, and uh, you know, Ken Feinberg's uh, Michael <laughs> Keaton's character goes, oh, that was great, thanks for doing that. And he's like, well, to let you know, I'm. <laughs> I'm totally against what you're doing. Um, I already have a, a website of grievances. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a website of grievances called Fix the Fund. Um, so maybe you should get on board with what I'm trying to do. And mm-hmm. and yeah, so that. But I I agree with you though that the procedural elements I really liked, and then it tried to become more. It tried to get more, you know, more emotional with it at the and try to tie together everything and. And and show that okay, Kenneth Feinberg has a heart, and he was able to do all this. And but it doesn't really show how. Like you're saying, they just interviewed tons of people. Like when did they have the time? It, it seemed almost unrealistic. They went from like fifty percent signed up to ninety-seven percent signed up. You, you can see yeah. how more people are coming to the office. And Stanley Tucci's character, Charles Wolf, says, "Okay, the fund is fixed on his website." So you can yeah. see how that could accelerate the momentum, but uh, it it didn't really get into. It. And it's interesting because I I, I I like read a review that was the opposite of what we think. It was saying, oh, it was too procedural at the beginning, but then <laughs> at the end, at the end, you get that feel, you know, that uh, warm and fuzzy feeling kind of thing. And I think it would have been better to just keep keep going with the complexity throughout. I don't I don't disagree. I I, I do think that. Michael Keaton's trying to bring a lot of um, like emotional complexity, like in the character, like you can sort of see him try and force this to be as dispassionate as possible. And then he's confronted with like the, the the dead firefighters brother. And he's trying, like he's trying to be like, he's trying to, it's like, he's trying to work out the calculations inside the conversation. Like how human can I be while still being like this dispassionate like administrator that I have to be in order to do this job right and there's a lot of really great stuff as he's struggling with that uh, I found but he goes it's like it's like kind of like the touched by an angel moment <laughs> like like kind of late in the film where he's like oh my god these are people <laughs> you know now I've, now I've got to go to all the meetings and it's like I understand that I understand that's the kind of hollywood version of this but at the same time um you're you're right he was given extraordinary latitude and it it just and this may have something to do with like max bornstein who's the screenwriter like most of his like produced work is in the realm of like monster fighting movies um and you know 
the internal logic of those movies is like, well, monsters have got to fight now. <laughs> so, it, you know, that's that can work in, in in like that kind of setting. But, you know, in well, now uh, Ken Feinberg's heart's grown three sizes. So, uh, you know, now he's going to get to work and actually, you know, finish this up. And it, it, it just I wish that. If we're going to go that route, you need to sort of lay it out. How is Ken Feinberg different? on December 19th or whenever it is, like when the deadline versus from where he started, like on September like 22nd, when he has the first meeting with Ashcroft about this, like what, what is the arc? What is the through line? It isn't just like today on, on one day he was a lawyer on, and by the end he was a human. I don't think that's, I don't think what Ken Feinberg was doing was as simple as that arc makes it think. Um, because I think he was already struggling with his humanity at the start of this thing. It just, it, the arc was not elegantly constructed. Yeah, that's true. And it was like two years later too, right? Cause it, September 11th, 2001, the deadline was December, 2003. And you, you see little touches here and there, but I agree. It doesn't, it's not, you don't really, it's not really detailed um, like how he gets there. Um, and then the Stanley Tucci character, Charles Wolf, I, mm-hmm. I felt like we could use maybe some more of him because he's just sort of in the background and it's like, oh, now he now he agrees. Now he's changed the website and there's just little glimpses. And I agree. It was sort of like, oh, now now uh, Kenneth Feinberg's hum- he's a human being now. And there was these little <laughs> touches, which mm-hmm. I, I didn't mind. I don't dislike because i i like the movie overall but like there's these little mm-hmm. touches where oh they um charles wolf and kenneth feinberg both listen to opera they both like opera and it's like mm-hmm. now kenneth feinberg sees charles wolf differently because he listens to the same opera music that he does and it just they, they both hate new opera <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they've come together in their hatred of new opera too and i think uh, it could have been more developed there and almost, almost to watching it. Cause it's trying to be, you know, it, 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 it's trying not to be a sentimental movie really. Right. It's trying to be sort of like just mm-hmm. have that lawyer's focus. So then I felt like when it tried to get emotional at the end, it almost, it just didn't get there for me. Like mm-hmm. Michael Keaton and his performance. And this might be a Michael Keaton thing more than the movie. Mm-hmm. He's a really solid actor. Right. Mm-hmm. But then at the end when, you know, I think some, like a tear was coming to his eye at one point, it just didn't, it almost wasn't emotional enough for me. It was almost like, I don't know, if you're going to go this direction, uh, go a little bit, a little bit harder there, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then because it was such a big tragedy, right? So many people died. So many people's families were victims. They they have, like you were mentioning, the firefighters the firefighter who died, his wife. So they have these little, you know, little stories that they can spotlight these stories. Mm-hmm. They can spotlight um, the firefighter. And then there's a, a gay couple and um, the, the one man died in the centers and the other, his partner is not entitled because they're live in Virginia and it doesn't have the same laws as New York. They're not entitled. He's not entitled to compensation. Mm-hmm. And these are like, interesting interesting stories to spotlight but uh, in a way i almost felt like they were 
kind of thrown in there a bit. Like it, it did, it didn't, it, it didn't feel like it was really baked into the movie that much to me. It almost felt like, okay, now we're going to show some real life stories here, which, um, which I think, you know, I think, I think for the, uh, the gay couple, I, I felt more emotion towards that. The firefighter's wife, it, it, I don't know. It just seemed like it was sort of like added on. It was a construct of the script kind of thing to me. I have a slightly different interpretation. I, I, I think because you want to have like some like personal stories and Spali did this too, by focusing on like a couple of this, like specific victims um, that you meet through the course of the film. Um, I think they chose like some of the more difficult stories. I mean, because like everybody had everyone who was like a, a family member of a victim. It was like a, somebody's brother, somebody's sister, somebody's mother, somebody's father, what have you, somebody's wife, husband, what, um, these are like kind of the complicated things that kind of show the human side of this, like, um, like the gay couple. Cause I mean, marriage wasn't legal nationwide at the time is barely legal on, on the state level. I mean, civilly, like just the sort of like civil relationships and, um, you know, uh, like the whole idea of like you you live with someone essentially like a married couple, even though you don't have the freaking piece of paper, and and how that extended to to gay couples. I mean that it, it's interesting. And Amy Ryan notes this at the end when she's talking to the the surviving partner. Um, she's like, "Well, you know, I'm sorry we couldn't help you, but I mean because of your story, we were able to help others." And it just it would have been nice to have seen an example of that or if it had been like more than a phone call to to this one poor man in the end yeah um, that's a, I, yeah i'm sorry it, to interrupt but no yeah, no no like, I, yeah i was invested in that but then it is sort of like just a phone call at the at the end too right it's it's you know you're following the kenneth feinberg character and then at the end she, she gives that phone call which is you know which is great and you're invested you're invested in these characters and but mm-hmm. it, it just, yeah, it felt like there wasn't enough meat on the bone kind of thing. And then the, the, the widow's story, um, I mean, I, I love Laura Benanti. She's, I think she's a great actress. Um, but I like how, I'm, I, again, I, I don't know uh, <laughs> if this was a, a more common problem, but this idea that, like, here's this widow of a firefighter. She has three kids. She doesn't want the money, um, but her husband had like a whole other family who wants the money, and you know how do you kind of surf that and, and recognize the illegitimate air quote le- illegitimate family uh, when it's the legitimate family that can decide whether or not the taps get turned on and like how do you I mean it's already like a deeply searing personal wound that. The, the breadwinner of this family was tragically killed but then how do you how do you like deal with this other very human problem and i think this is like the one kind of human problem that the the, the movie gave just enough sort of light to but you know how do you navigate this deeply deeply affect like that is also an issue also like deeply personally affecting um, wounding even on top of the the wound of what happened on September 11th. It's just, 
it's amazing. It's just it 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 boggles your mind. Like it's an, it's like one of those truth is, is stranger than fiction moments, and I think that's like sort of the one human story the movie did just right. And uh, I I didn't mind that that aspect of the movie at all. I thought I thought it added just just the right enough like sort of human complicated spice to this again what is basically a procedural story yeah i i like those stories but i think they could have they could have deepened those stories a little bit more like i don't know just a little bit maybe like five minutes on each that just um but it was i know when the parents of the uh the man who died um when they they don't when they're saying to his uh his partner uh you know we don't accept your relationship we're not going to give you any money we get the money under the law that was very powerful mm-hmm. that was a very powerful scene and i thought a scene that was powerful too that wasn't uh, about individual characters but it was like the collective characters was when they um contrasted the the really wealthy uh the meeting um that ken feinberg has with yes. lawyers from the really wealthy people who died that day and they're haggling over millions and millions of dollars yeah and then they contrast that with a scene where amy ryan's character camille Biros, she's there with um with people you know a lot of the, the workers and um like the the you know sort of immigrants um who who, who were working in the world trade uh, center that day um, mm-hmm. and, and says to them, I'm sorry, but well, the minimum we can offer is $200,000 and there's yeah. this big group of people there and yeah. they have a translator and they're like $200,000. That's for all of us to divide. And she's like, no, that's each. And they're like, Whoa, they're just like, they're, they're, they're grateful uh, yeah you know grateful for that and meanwhile these you know uber rich people in this other meeting with kenneth feinberg are like you know 20 million is not enough we need 30 or 40 yeah just, that's a, that's another really great scene like that's really set up in terms of like just like sort of the ugly politics of this and uh you know since you brought up the evil lawyer uh tate donovan is great like going back to the oc he's just great at playing slimy wall street guy so um i i wish there had sort of like what this movie lacked was like like a proper villain almost and i feel like tate donovan is supposed to be that but they don't like kind of like you get hints of slime but it doesn't it isn't like completely slimy like i need to go i hate to keep going back to spot spotlight but you get like at least a couple of like really good slimy guys in there you with uh the guy who's playing the the cardinal uh, cardinal law I can't remember the actor's name and then you had like Paul Gilfoyle as the the PR guy for the Catholic diocese in Boston it's like yeah you get these like really kind of like you see these guys and you're just like oh you're so terrible like why are why are you such a scumbag and I feel like they could have let Tate Donovan off the chain a little bit more but that's that's like a small criticism <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, because he's he's slimy, but it's almost in a a little car- cartoonish and not not like you don't feel that almost sense of danger you do with other like the cardinals and stuff in the in spotlight where it's like oh man this person's frightening you know <laughs> um, his character's more like I'm the bad lawyer I'm your you know stereotypical greedy 
ambulance yeah. ambulance chasing lawyer kind of thing. Yeah, he's too he's too self aware about what a scumbag he is. Um, whereas you know, <laughs> Cardinal Law in in Spotlight is just a casual <laughs> casual mm-hmm. jerk. Yeah, but um, I'm just trying to think about what kind of we haven't. I mean, I we've been talking a lot about how the the film kind of tiptoes around making things too human. Um, I thought the scene where Ken Feinberg's on the train um, as sort of people are discovering about nine eleven, like on the morning of. Uh, I thought that was really well done. Um, it also gave me an opportunity to be nostalgic about something other than 9-11, like the the crappiness of Discman for traveling purposes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those, those were supposed to be portable, but they did not travel well. <laughs> yeah, it put you in a time and place for sure. Yeah, when he had the Discman, I was like, okay. I know. <laughs> I know. It, it, the movie made a pretty good point of like, hey, you remember Discman, that was a thing for two years between the Walkman and the iPod. But yeah, uh, does he have enough batteries? Or yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. But I just there was this. It just the the seed starts with him on the train and he's struggling with the Discman. I was like, oh yeah, that's why I never took my Discman anywhere. <laughs> yeah, and it's it put of, you in the time and time and place because it actually the the true opening is he's in a law class talking about the value of of people's lives with his, his young law students mm-hmm. and any time that could happen today. They could have that same conversation. And then he ends up on the train and he's got the disc man and you're like, Oh goodness, I think I know what's happening here. And it's really well done. Like you can see something's happening, but he's so into his opera music on his disc man. He doesn't know what's happening. And you see people getting up in the train in the aisles and getting on their cell phones and calling probably family and friends. And, and then he looks out the window and sees what's happening. Yeah. Like I, I, I thought I found that part of the film really well done. Uh, I think again, it's like a story that, um, that, you know, you wouldn't typically think about, if, if you're gonna like, like say, I want to make a movie about nine eleven, well, what, what would you make a movie about nine eleven? Uh, like about firefighters, about first responders, about like Rudy Giuliani, about the Bush White House, and like somewhere down the list, you get to this story about the Victims' Compensation Fund, and it's a really great lens to, I, th- I think, to revisit the revisit the the event itself from like an angle that is often forget that people were dealing with like the fallout from nine 11 for years. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, in effect, I mean, the, the movie touches on it briefly at the end in like the title cards, but like, you know, there's, there's still victims suffering. There's still people who are like getting cancer and things. And it wasn't people working in the train center. It's like people who were like working on the site, like, for the first few weeks afterwards, you know, being exposed to asbestos and God knows what else. And it's, it's, it's a much bigger story than like the geopolitical stuff. And like the matter of fact, like TikTok of what happened on the day. And, you know, I think, you know, if that, that's the, the worst that you can say about this film, I think that's still pretty good, but it's still got some really good performances. And, uh, it's it's a it's a well-made film it's it's a nice sort of like 
it's it's a good sit. It's that's <laughs> I'll borrow that from yeah. Dave Chenot's slash film. That it's a good sit. It's uh, it's the kind of movie that you know they don't. I hate to say it, they don't really like go out of their way to make. Even like just a few years ago with like Spotlight, it's you know it it's too bad. Uh, you know this is just a really well made film uh, with a very sp- specific point of view, uh, not too controversial, very middle of the road. It's got people you like to watch in it, and uh, it's a good sit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good it's, it's a good set. It's kind of interesting because I, I watched it and then I was like, you know, I could I could watch this again. You know, when sure, you're fr- sure. first watching it, something on, you know, victims of nine eleven, and uh, you, you're probably like, I probably it's just something I want to wa- watch once. I'm probably not going to want to revisit this, but like you're saying, it's it, it you know, it does work as as a movie, as a, like an entertaining. Uh, uh, film in an in a very low-key way which is cool because you don't see that a lot like you're saying right um they're usually they're trying to you know really bring in the emotional impact and uh this is like you know it it has that in it but it's really about this this character kenneth feinberg who's a real person right who's Mm -hmm. you know trying to make sense out of the madness and he uh and like you were saying too it's interesting because they say that you know the people who worked there afterwards weren't included in the original fund but then i think they made accommodations for them later on Mm -hmm. but that's the one thing about the movie too if you think about it a lot it's like well what did they do how did they you know what was the formula to end the formula kind of thing? And you don't, mm-hmm. you don't, they don't really get into that. They just say they reach out and they're more human and, and they connect more with people and which is great, which works for movie purposes, but <laughs> there's probably like a documentary waiting to happen about like the real, real yeah. event. Right. Yeah. I smell a sequel. Um, <laughs> or- <laughs> <laughs> worth two worther i don't know uh we'll we'll workshop that tim if people want to find you on the internet where can they get in touch with you um yeah on social media on flash in the deadpan um uh, twitter facebook or you can email me flash in the deadpan at gmail.com and that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it, and if you want to listen to it again, you can find it on our website, endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it on the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean, or you can get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. And speaking of Spotify, you can get the playlist for much of the music that you hear on the End Credits Radio Show. Just open up your Spotify app and search for End Credits on CFRU to find it. To find us on social media, we're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And I will be back here tomorrow at 5 p.m. on CFRU for News and Politics and Open Sources Guelph. And that is with my partner there, Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. And you can go to guelphpolitico.ca for news and politics stuff. And stay tuned right here for more great programming on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We'll be back next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another edition of End Credits, and we will see you then.